Our gospel this morning is from Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of, of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The word of our Lord. In uh, 19 years of ministry... I did something today I have never done before. I got in my car, I drove to church, I got out of my car, I walked into my office, and I opened my bag and found that I left my sermon on the kitchen table. (laughs) So there. Uh, so I'm sure uh, what I have laying on my kitchen table is beautiful and elegant and pithy, inspiring, moving, and motivating. This will be clunky and boring, and you can all take a nap. So with that, let us pray <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Gracious and loving God, stir up your holy power this day and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears, that we might hear a word for us today anew and so that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, first of all, uh, my thought this morning was, since we have moved into a time where we're uh, asking ourselves why Jesus and why church, uh, I think the first thing that we should do is give a round of applause to Pastor Joanna and the LEARN team for setting that up. We've had over 100 people that have been participating. Can you just give them a round of applause of thanks for that?
what I decided or thought that I would try and do this morning uh, is to try and answer that question for Luther himself. Uh, why Jesus in particular? Um, and so I'm going to just talk a little bit about Luther and his theology a little bit and see if I can answer the question for Luther, why Jesus? You can all talk to me afterwards to find out whether or not I actually did this or not. And most of you, actually, I would guess, probably already know this. For Luther in his day, the piety that permeated the culture was incredibly burdensome. And to describe it for you, it might be something like this and probably something that you have heard before and would even expect. We have a very wrathful God who has high expectations of you and you are to fulfill them by going to confession and confessing all of your sins. Part of that is actually genuinely feeling sorry for them. And then you do penance, acts of mercy, praying, giving, sharing your wealth with those around you as a way to work off the rest of the guilt that you didn't actually feel sorry for. And all, actually, I think, in the culture are quite worried about their relationship to God. They worry about standing in the presence of God and what that would feel for them, and they are afraid. And Luther, of them all, is probably worried about this more than most. They, I think, have a sense in their very, very bones of God's expectations of them, and they're not living up to them. So... What does that sound like for Luther? It sounds something like this. Luther says, what does it mean to acknowledge your feeling before God? And he says this. It means to feel and experience the intolerable burden of the wrath of God. <sighs> Serious. The sinful man is one who is oppressed by his conscience and tossed to and fro, not knowing where to turn. Therefore, we are not dealing here with a philosophical knowledge of man, which defines man as a rational animal and so forth. Such things are for science to discuss, not theology. A lawyer speaks of man as an owner and master of property, and a physician speaks of a man as healthy or sick. But theology discusses man as a sinner. This is not messing around. This is his eternal salvation. Again, clunky and not beautiful. <laughs> Luther says this. Luther was a monk, and as a monk, he is, in fact, trying to work out his salvation with God. And Luther says this about what he is doing. Luther told of his, desperate own, his own desperate labors to appease God's wrath. And he says, I was a good monk, and I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery... I love that. <laughs> it was I. If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, readings, and other works. Luther, in this system, finally ends up hating God. For why in the world would God demand such righteousness but not give him the ability to fulfill it? His conscience is sick to the core. I don't think we have quite that same level of heaviness that Luther had, although I have heard Timothy Wangert, who's a professor, used to be out at Philadelphia Seminary, told of a story one time who he's sitting on the hospital bed with one of the people in his parish who is old and knowing that she's about to die. And she turns and looks at him, he's a young pastor, uh, and says, Pastor, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I earned my way into heaven? 
That's the question I think she's asking, and that's the very question that Luther was asking, and the very question that those in Luther's day was asking. Now, I think you all know what Luther ends up finding in Scripture is a graceful, loving God. That it, in fact, for Luther, why Jesus? Because Jesus fulfills all righteousness. What does that mean exactly? Well, Christ is the one who has the ability to actually fulfill and live out all of God's laws. And in faith, Luther and Christ are somehow fuses, fused together. In Christ, Luther is forgiven all of his sins, and it is given to him as a graceful gift. It's not finally his actions or thoughts or deeds that define his relationship with God, but it is in fact Christ's actions before God that justifies Luther. So why Jesus? Because for Luther, Christ justifies him. Now what does that mean? That sounds a little bit, um, a little bit uh, uh, intellectual and thoughtful. So I, I thought this is how I might try to explain it. Can I get some help from you, Dick? I need you to stand up and come over here. <laughs> um, have you ever... Um, it might. No. Have you ever had this happen? Have you ever, gone, have you ever like, been walking towards somebody that you kind of know, but you see them out of context, uh, and you don't know exactly how to greet them? Have you ever had that happen before? You walk up, and you might, you might... So guys do this all the time, right? We just walk up and shake hands. But I actually have a cop friend who does this, and it throws me off every time. Instead of going like this, he goes like this, right? And so then he does one of these, and then... Hmm, Right? Super awkward. <laughs> um, or you might see somebody that you know and you know them fairly well or you think you do, uh, and they might put out their hand, but you go in like this. <laughs> Ever had that happen? Uh, that happens to me a lot. Well, so this is actually what I think Luther means by grace. If, <clears throat> in this case, sorry, I'm going to play the role of God and you play the role of Luther. And we see each other and you stick your hand out to greet me but Luther says God does this. In fact, Luther would say this, turn around. <laughs> Luther would say before you can even know it, God does this. How's that? Does it hurt? Very good. Very good, okay. Give Dick a round of applause. What, what Luther finally recognizes that in Jesus, God is the one that makes the first move. Always. Always makes the first move. Always comes to give you a hug and to love you, even in your sinfulness, your brokenness, your messed upness, your screwed upness, how many times you've goofed up. Kierkegaard says this, when, you, when we wake up in the morning and turn our souls to you, God, you are first. You've loved us first. If I rise at dawn and at the same time turn my soul toward you in prayer, you are already there ahead of me. You have loved me first. When I withdraw from the distractions of the day and turn my soul towards you, you are there first and thus forever. God makes the first move. I, I, it reminds me of being in junior high, right? And you've, you've met that person that you kind of like and you finally found a, like an opportunity where you're sitting next to each other and all of a sudden, maybe you find yourself alone, who's going to make the first move? I think that's what it is. God makes the first move. This is enormously transformative for Luther. And so Luther has this phrase that you've probably heard before. We are saved by grace through faith. So grace is the God making the first move. 
the hug. Through faith is this. This is the part that I actually find most interesting about Luther. Luther realizes that he's powerless to win God's favor and gives up trying in so many ways. Uh, But what he actually realizes is that faith is the fusion of him and Christ in his deep, deep soul. And there's this odd transference for Luther in his heart that Christ gives him all the benefits of God and Christ takes from him all of his faults and failures. There's this fusion where Luther can say, like Paul, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ that lives in me. And what exactly does that mean? It means you are free. I I love that sense of fusion with Christ that Luther talks about. He says it in The Freedom of a Christian. So while I left my sermon at home, I, I have my books in my office. It says this, Since these promises of God are these things, holy, true, righteous, free, and peaceful, and full of goodness, the soul which clings to them with a firm faith will be so closely united with them and altogether absorbed by them that it will not only share in all their power but will be saturated and intoxicated by them. I love that. Saturated and intoxicated with God's very being in Luther's very, very soul. Your identity is secure forever. God has made the first move, fused God's self with your soul, and you are free, a beloved child of God. What does that mean? You don't have to compete with anybody for any honor and glory because you already have it all. Christ gave it to you in that fusion hug. (laughs) You don't have to compete with each other for who you are or who you think you're supposed to be. All of those things melt away. You don't have to win arguments because ultimately it's Christ's job to win all the arguments anyway. And you're free to use your gifts not for yourself, but for the sake of everyone else. Just two little kind of uh, examples about this. My first is my friend Denny and how this plays out in my own life. My friend Denny, let's see, how to describe my friend Denny. My friend Denny is a rabid Republican. I am not. And Denny and I actually met, I've told you the story about Denny a long time ago, we met over a Thanksgiving table where he was saying some things that I found rather offensive, and rather than leave them lay on the Thanksgiving table, I addressed them. (laughs) Uh, Denny and I have been very good friends ever since, and I'm super grateful, partially because Denny understood something that I often forget. To be in a relationship, especially with people with whom you disagree, is actually very, very good for you, but it is very, very difficult. It's very, very difficult because oftentimes what we believe we have to do is prove that we are right in order to protect our own identity so that we don't have holes in ourselves. Does that make sense? Denny knew something in that moment that I often forget. To be in a relationship with one another is actually the most human and important thing that we could be, especially with people to whom we disagree. And if your identity is already grounded in Christ, you don't have to convince each other you only get to listen to each other and love one another. We could use more of that these days. The fusion of Christ with our soul has practical applications for how we actually 
work in the world. Another quick example, there's a preacher named Nadia Boltz Weber, and uh, one of the things that I find in life is that it's often people who have suffered the most and have stumbled into God's grace that often are the ones who are the most articulate about it. And Nadia is a recovering alcoholic who also happened to be a stand-up comedian, so she is right down the middle. She says this, God's grace is not defined as God being forgiving forgiving to us even though we sin. Grace is when God is a source of wholeness, which makes up for all my failings. My failings hurt me and others and even the planet. And God's grace to me is that my brokenness is not the final word. It is, in fact, that God makes beautiful things even out of my own... I can translate that word for you later. Grace isn't about God creating humans and flawed human beings and then acting all hurt when we inevitably fail and then stepping in like the hero to grant us grace, like saying, oh, it's okay, I'll be the good guy and forgive you. It's more like God saying, I love you and the world too much to let your broken selfishness define you and be the final word. I am the God who makes all things new, even in you. I love that. We are, in fact, in Christ, free to love our neighbor, to give away all we have because it already came to us from God in the first place and it never was ours. You're free to be a CPA in the world and act as God's agent in the world doing accounting. I can't do that. Some of you can. You're free to be a mom in the world, to love and to care, and that is your calling and vocation, and God has ordained you to be that or a lawyer, or a teacher, or a stockbroker, or a purchase agent. God has fused with your soul and made all of those things that you do in life holy. And there are two important places where this happens for us, physically. The first, and most importantly, is at the baptismal font. The place where this happens for us every single time we come to church It's important that the baptismal font is actually in back. It's where it belongs. It's because this is the entry point into your fusion with Christ. And for most of us, it happened before you could even choose it. Luther can never actually say, I would choose God as my personal Lord and Savior. Luther can only say, I was baptized. It happened to me. Luther is so worried about our conscience that he wants all of the righteousness to be on God's side and none on ours. And so that happened to you, many of you, most of you, in the baptismal font. A pastor splashed some water on your head and then made the sign of the cross on your forehead and you have been branded as a child of God since before you could choose it. And the second place where that happens is at the communion rail. And here you taste and see God fuse with your soul in a small piece of bread and a little bit of wine. And God becomes you, and you become God. Why Jesus for Luther? Because Jesus is literally everything, and it literally saves him from himself. Amen.